Welcome to the Quad Pod, a podcast highlighting life at Baylor School in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Inspired by the many converging paths on our campus where faculty, staff, students, alumni, and families meet, we bring you stories from all angles told by many voices. This episode is hosted by me, Mike Kelly. Hey folks, something of a quick bonus episode for you here. It's finals week at Baylor, so I'm stepping in as host this time around so our students can focus on their studies. Speaking of finals, I've got four solid interviews that students in the audio journalism elective conducted for their final projects in the class. These four are not only all strong pieces, but they go together because they all share something in common. Each student is a future college athlete who chose to sit down with a coach they admire to learn more about them the game they've devoted their lives to, and to share stories about the sport they love. Each student handled all aspects of the production, from crafting the questions, running the tech, and finally editing the interview tape down to a five to eight minute running time. First, we'll join senior Thomas Velinkas and head coach Mike Kinney to talk baseball. Then we'll hear senior Riley Oletzik relive the historic Sweet 16 run that head Baylor girls basketball coach John Gibson took with the 1997 UTC men's basketball team while serving as an assistant coach. We'll stick with basketball for our next piece as senior Isaiah Whaley gives us a preview of the boys' basketball season with Baylor head coach and athletic director Mark Price. Finally, we'll hear senior Jack Murdoch and head boys lacrosse coach Tyler White talk about the game they both love. Each of these students is a gifted athlete heading on to play at the next level and credit their esteemed coaches at Baylor for making that a possibility. And now, episode 28, Coaches in Conversation. First up, Thomas Falinkas with head baseball coach Mike Kinney. Coach Kinney went over 100 games in his first four full seasons at Baylor with three state championships. He's had two players drafted in the MLB draft, his son in 2021, first-rounder Cooper Kinney, and also in 2021 in the 16th round, Danny Corona, whom you might have seen in the College World Series last year with Wake Forest. Thomas earned the title of Mr. Baseball for Division II AA last year and will be playing baseball for the University of Virginia after his upcoming senior season at Baylor. Here is Thomas and Coach Kinney. I'm Thomas Flinkus with the audio journalism class, and I decided to interview Coach Mike Kinney of Baylor School. I've played baseball my entire life, and that's what I find the most passion in. I decided to interview Coach Kinney because of his love for the game and his success as a coach and a father. His passion for baseball started at a young age. I grew up in a small town and didn't really have very many opportunities to play baseball, but um, would hit balls to my dog and he would bring it back and I played with hit hit rocks and just learned this skill of hitting something so when I was in a about the sixth grade I got to play baseball uh, for the first time and was way better than everybody else and uh, just really enjoyed uh, the fact that I had a skill set that nobody else had Um, and still to this day um, just being able to have the hand-eye coordination to hit a baseball and um, is something that i enjoyed and I just started growing from there. How did you acquire your skill set of baseball knowledge at use today? I became a catcher when I got to college and so me learning the skill set of catching, calling pitches, uh, being the quarterback uh, on a baseball team, um, I I never really got to that until I was in college and so my, my coaches did a wonderful job of creating um, just the 
the feel and the love of the game um, while I learned to uh, be the catcher. What was your first year of coaching at Baylor like, and what did you learn? The first year that I was that I was the head coach, um, it was just establishing some discipline that we have now that that was not there at the at the beginning. So, trying to stick to your guns and make policies and 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 create an environment where kids knew that um, you were accountable to us and that we were accountable to them and. Um, those are hard days when you have to make decisions to either set kids or, or punish kids for, for misbehavior or not playing the way you're asking them to play when they are just trying their very best. And so um, at the beginning of any, of any season, you have to set some standards. And um, when kids don't know those standards, it can be very tough. And it was here. Um, but our kids, our kids figured out that we were consistently and behind them and they, they rose to the occasion, and uh, by the time we got done in that first year, we were as hot a baseball team as anybody's been. What adjustments do you make going from season to season? Well, every year at the end of the season, I go back and reflect on what went well, what didn't go well, and we make I try to make adjustments to to fix uh, or look forward as to what the problems are going to be, and, and then I make adjustments based on um, – what has happened and what I think is going to happen. And so we try to fix all the problems that we're going to have prior to, and then um, therefore you, you don't have as many throughout the season. And um, those that's been a really helpful uh, guide for me. Does hard work lead to winning games? For anybody to say that the kids that we have here don't work every single day, you should just hang out with us. Um, and so I think that it's the combination of, of working hard but also working smart having good good information, um, having the good facilities and, that we have here. But it's just surrounding yourself with with other people that have the same like mind as you. I think that's been the key here at Baylor School. What is expected from the baseball players at Baylor and the thoughts of losing a game? Trying to get young men to show up every day and give their give their very best is, is the goal. It's not necessarily winning or losing. Um, the players that we've been able to put together here at Baylor and the work that they put in, they don't take losing very lightly. So um, losing games in a row that has happened, and um, we never miss a beat. We just pull right back up and go again, and um, I think that's the spirit of a, of a champion, just getting up off the ground and going again harder and harder each day. What is high school baseball, in your words, compared to the next level? Well, it's the, it's the last peer uh, – game of baseball before you start getting paid to do it and being demanded to do it all of the baseball players in high school are there because they love to play and so it's the very last time that a bunch of kids can just get together and play a game of baseball without any um, exterior motives Um, and so it's probably the purest form of the game and I think that's what keeps me in it. Baylor baseball has a motto of win one what does that mean to you and where did it come from? When we first began the idea of win one was uh, brought to us because we had a bunch of freshmen that were playing, and we uh, had never really won um, very many um, league games. And so we were just trying to talk our kids into trying – just try your best to beat somebody just today. Like put everything you have into this one into this one game, and let's see if we can win it. Um, and we did, and then we turned around and kind of said the exact same thing the next day. And Teddy Lepsio was one of our – senior leaders and he kind of came up with this idea that guys if we just try to win just this one day um, that 
that's how we should approach every game. And we got to the state tournament, and that was our final statement was, guys, all we have to do is win one today. And that, that win one is stuck. How was the experience of winning a state championship finally? I'd coached for 25 years before I got a chance to play in a state tournament, in a state championship game. And so being able to take uh, my son when he was a freshman through that uh, and actually win the first time that I'd ever been to the state tournament um, and then to follow up with the next straight next four years being able to play uh, for a state championship and winning it um, was uh, quite the thrill. More specifically, what was the emotions of getting to coach your own son, Cooper, and winning state with him? If you spend your whole career trying to do something and then finally you get a chance to do it, I, I'm not sure that if you say everything is is too much. Um, it was really what my whole career has been about, was trying to take a bunch of young men and, um, and, and win at something and uh, getting a chance to do that for the first time. And then back-to-back-to-back to back to back with him was, uh, again, quite the thrill. Cooper was selected 34th overall in the 2021 MLB draft. What was it like being there with him in that moment? I'm not sure that there's a, a higher joy, um, a higher space than I've ever been in because um, we never really we never really expected that to happen. We just let the process take place, and all of a sudden you see your son's name on the MLB draft ticker board um, that uh, as a possible draftee. Um, I'm not sure that the – uh, if euphoria is the right word or, or joy, but uh, it, was, it, it was almost uh, numbing to me. Um, I, I didn't cry. I didn't get emotional. I just sit there in awe and uh, thankfulness. Um, and that we have a, a big part of our family is our is our faith and this, just putting our faith in the Lord to do what's right for Him. And that was the peace. We got peace from that and um, just makes me smile even today when I think back about it. Next up, Riley Olesic with the head girls basketball coach John Gibson about the magical run the men's mocks team made back in 1997. Gibson both played and coached at UTC, and so he teamed up with future New York Knicks pro Gerald Wilkins as a teammate. The team didn't make that deep march run until he was an assistant coach in the late 90s. While Riley is heading on to play college softball next year, she's a star on the girls' basketball team as well, and recently sat down with Coach Gibson to hear his account of that special season at 97. Here is Riley and Coach Gibson. 25th anniversary of the 1997 Sweet 16 team, one of the great Cinderella runs in the big dance's modern era. In 1997, Chattanooga defeated Marshall in the Southern Conference Tournament and advanced to the NCAAs as the number 14 seed. Mox went on to defeat Georgia and Illinois before falling to Providence to end the season. This is the story of previous UTC men's basketball assistant coach John Gibson on their Cinderella run in the 1997 NCAA basketball tournament. This story shows how Coach Gibson's love for basketball grew and is still alive today. Hi, I'm Riley Olesic and I'm here with Coach Gibson. So what made you start playing basketball and why did you continue to go on that path throughout your life? I think I started playing when I was a little boy, young, since I was number four in the pecking order of a family of seven of children. I think it occupied my time by myself. It was something I could do by myself from shooting into laundry baskets in the house to eventually playing outside, you know, in the driveway. And then probably the progression of it was that when I became, you know, middle and high school, I, I, it was something I really had passion for. And I also believe that it could help me in my future. 
So what led you to playing in college and ending up at UTC? Uh, college was, uh, by the time I got in high school, I knew that the college, basketball was probably the best chance I was going to have to go to college. And then it was also the best chance that I was going to have to uh, get out of Peoria, Illinois, which at that point in the early 80s, you know, growing up in the mid-70s through the early 80s in Peoria, I knew that I didn't want to be there. And so, uh, and then I ended up at UTC. I went to junior college in Lincoln Junior College and playing in a tournament over Christmas in Missouri. UTC was there to watch somebody else and the guy who was the assistant coach at that time, Kevin Gray, ended up seeing me play and playing the championship game as a point guard and they started recruiting me. So what years were you on the team and what years did you coach at UTC? I was, I played from 83 to 86 and I was at UTC from 83 till 2002. As an, I started as an assistant in 87 after I graduated and I stayed till 2002. Um, what was it like getting to experience the Sweet 16 and the March Madness? itself uh, it was really neat for a couple of reasons first of all you know we had been to the to the tournament four or five times in the previous years and we had uh, got our clock cleaned by a lot of big time programs several years in a row Kansas you know Yukon Wake Forest Oklahoma you name it. Uh, it it was really neat that year because we thought our draw was pretty good we we opened with Georgia and we were familiar with Georgia we had played them a couple of years previous so we knew about them and and, and we thought we matched up better with them. Uh, and the games were close. We were in Charlotte, so we thought, you know, we might have a decent crowd. And the biggest thing about playing in those tournaments like that is the underdog is always going to get the crowd on their side. And you know, we basically started that game. We were up 23-1. to 1. Um, Do you remember any players that were impactful on the UTC team and what other players that you played against made a big impact in the games? Oh, I remember all of our kids. Uh, Chris, you know, we don't even go to the NCAA tournament if Chris Mims doesn't get a put back at the buzzer in the Southern Conference, Southern Conference final. We we would have been destined to the NIT uh, yet another year. Uh, Chris Mims, a big kid out of Alabama, uh, had a great putback. Johnny Taylor, who was drafted by the Orlando Magic and played several years in the NBA. Willie Young was probably the MVP of our team that year. He's a point guard, and we don't win. In the tournament, you know, we don't beat uh, Georgia and Illinois and then get to play against Providence if he's not there. You know, we have Wes Moore, who lives here in town in Chattanooga now, David Phillips, but uh, 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 Marquise Collier. There was, you know, Isaac Connor, uh, Chuck Moore. We had a lot of good kids and a lot of talent, a lot of pros on that team. Even they, they didn't play in the NBA, but they were pros. And then, of course, you know, we played uh, – uh, against Illinois, had some really good talent. The, the the game we lost against Providence, they had two pros, a guy named Austin Crozier who played in the NBA for several years, and then the guy that pretty much we couldn't handle that night against Providence, his name was God Sham God, and I'll never forget it. What was it like playing on that stage, and what was like the numbers of the crowd? Uh, the stage was unbelievable. You know, we started in Charlotte, and like I said, when you start in the NCAA tournament, if you watch it on TV, you can tell if an underdog starts to get some momentum and starts to get into the game, and the deeper they get into the game, the whole crowd is on your side. So, you know, at, at uh, in Charlotte, we beat uh, Georgia, and then we turn around and beat Illinois, and then we go to Burma which was a great draw for us because we're two hours away and it was about 19,000 people you know the atmosphere was is unbelievable it's something you'll never forget because you don't a lot of people don't get the opportunity to be in there I was fortunate enough to be around the kids that that gelled and came together at the right time and a coaching staff that found a way to win in advance you know it's something that I would never forget because of what it did for UTC and the program but also the city and the next question was what attention did this bring to UTC as a whole uh, uh, we were on the front page of every newspaper in the country we were the top lead story on every uh television station uh you know usa today you name it uh everybody was here you know the city was it was such a different time uh 
at that point because television hadn't exploded to showing 10 and 12 basketball games a night. Uh, and, and also it was ESPN was there, but you, you didn't show game after game after game. People still were very much involved in the community. And anytime that happens, uh, you know, we come back from the airport, we get back in town, the place is, is packed. Uh, you have people uh, you know, shaking your hand, patting you on the back, uh, just excited for you and excited for the town. And then lastly, how is it different than like a normal game? And were there like different perks that like the team got or things on the trip that were different because you were in the NCAA tournament? Well, I mean, the, one of the differences is you just, you basically fly in and fly out. Uh, the NCAA pays for everything. You, you know, they take care of all your hotel management, your arrangements, your buses. When you go back and forth to the arenas, you get a police escort because you blow right through every red light. You're not, you know, they'll be, you're on the bus and they're getting you there because you're supposed to be there on time. You know, they don't really, they didn't really do anything more for you at that time as far as perks. You know, you've stayed at very nice hotels. You, you know, you were treated very well. Uh, you, you know, you got a, a watch from the NCAA. You know, I still have all my watches from our NCAA tournaments that you get any on NCAA watch. It's, I think, more what it gives to you is more it's a, it's really something memories as far as not physical, but more mental. Uh, you know, I, I could talk to any of those guys on the phone or if I see them in person, you know, there's a connection there that maybe not, not might not have been there if we wouldn't have had that success uh, and found a way to, to advance in the tournament. Okay, well, thank you for doing this interview. No problems, thank you. Next up, we have a preview of the boys' basketball season with senior point guard Isaiah Whaley and head coach and Baylor Athletic Director Mark Price. The boys' team is off to a hot start and don't even have their full roster healthy yet, so they're definitely a team to watch this year. Isaiah is a gifted guard heading to Lee University to play ball next year. He and Coach Price recently sat down to talk hoops in the upcoming season. Here is their conversation. This is Isaiah Whaley, and I interviewed Baylor School's head basketball coach about his expectations for this year's team. Okay, so who am I here with? Uh, coach Mark Price. Coach Price, how long have you been at Baylor? Uh, this is the the start of my sixth season here. Have you been the head basketball coach all six of those years? Yes, I have. What made you want to come out to come to Baylor? Well, I've been coaching college basketball for 21 years, and uh, it's honestly, I started thinking about coaching in high school. Um, just I, I felt like it was a great opportunity to take all the things that I've learned about college athletics and what what how kids need to be equipped um, when they're going to play college sports. And I just thought it was a great opportunity to get to help help guys understand what they how they needed to prepare themselves athletically um, for what they were going to encounter when they were a college athlete. Who inspired you to start coaching? You know, I, I think from a young age, um, just you know, watching you know. Whoever the I was, I grew up a huge basketball fan in Kentucky, and you know it's just such a culture where I'm from, uh, competitive basketball, and and I uh, just love the game, and I was always you know just really wanting to learn you know how to teach it, uh, how to play it. Um, you know I had some I had some some decent coaches when I was in high school, but I just you know watching you know Rick Pitino when he was the coach at Kentucky when I was a kid, or Tubby Smith succeeded him at at University of Kentucky and just, you know, watching how they taught the game and how much excitement that it created the way they played. Um, You know, I just think I knew as a young, as a young person that I wanted to coach basketball at some level. I wasn't sure what level, but I wanted to coach it and teach it. You said you coached at the college level. What would you say the biggest difference between high school and college basketball is? Yeah, I just think it's developmental. Um, You know, you're not going to coach every kid here in in high school that's going to go on to play at the next level um but you know a lot 
most most athletes in high school are at least aspiring to get to that. Um, and I think that's the biggest difference is just knowing that college athletes have already achieved, you know, getting to, getting to play college basketball and high school high school athletes are in pursuit of that. Most of it. Do you have any other role at Baylor than just being the basketball coach? Yes, I'm. I'm uh, for the last, after the first two years here, I became the athletic director, um, and that that continues to be my other role at the school. What is that like? It, you know, it's it's really challenging role. It's just you know we have a, a big athletic department. Mm-hmm. You know, we have 26 varsity sports here, uh, 13 girl sports and 13 guys sports, um, and <clears throat> we've got a whole lot of really good coaches that that do a great job of running their programs and, uh, you know, just overseeing that, providing support for those coaches um, in the same way that I'd like to be supported as a, as the coach of the basketball program. I try to support all the, all the coaches in our, in our various athletic programs. As the season's getting started, what would you say your expectations are for the team this year? Yeah, I think I have uh, some of the highest expectations for this current team um, than any that we've had since I've been here. Um, the, the first team that we had, um, when I was here in, in 2018-19, um, had a lot of older players on it. Um, we lost a really close game in the state semifinals that year. And uh, you know, we had Beyond Hendricks that year, who was you know, one of the better players we've had since I've been here. Um, so that was a really talented team, but I didn't really have any level of expectation because that was my first year coaching high school basketball, and I really didn't have a good feel for the landscape of how good we were or we could be. Um this year, you know, now in the 23-24 season, we've, you know, we've got one uh, – we have actually have two sophomores on the varsity team, but the rest of the roster is full of juniors and seniors. And uh, guys that are – you know, we have more – we have more quality players in our program top to bottom than we've ever had um, and guys that really understand how to play the game. Um, you know, if we can really get these guys to – know to come together um and get to know each other in a way that they trust each other on a nightly basis and i and i think that we're already heading in the right direction with that and then i think this can be one of our best teams in recent years sir thank you for your time all right absolutely no problem finally we have senior jack murdoch with head boys lacrosse coach tyler white coach white was a four-year starter at nationally ranked dickinson college where he later returned as an assistant coach before finding his way to baylor Jack is heading on to play lacrosse at Lynchburg College in Virginia next year. Both sat down recently to talk about the game they love and how lessons on the field translate to life. Here's their story. My name is Jack Murdoch, and for my personal project, I chose to interview my high school lacrosse coach, Tyler White. Coach Tyler White was a collegiate lacrosse player and later coach at Dickinson College. As I'm going to be playing at the same level of lacrosse in college, I came to believe that interviewing him could give me some tips on what college lacrosse is like and how he started with his professional career after. Here are the highlights of our conversation. My name is Jack Murdoch, and I'm here with Coach Tyler White. How and when did you figure out about the game of lacrosse? Uh, So I figured out at an early age about the sport. Both my parents um, played lacrosse in college and played a lot of their lives, so I was basically born with a lacrosse stick in my hand. Um, so whether or not um, I wanted to, I was always going to play. Um, ended up loving it, you know, as soon as I could walk and as soon as I could, you know, fit a helmet on my head. Um, but really grew this love for the sport from my parents' um, experience with it and love for it already. Um, I know your history with the game of lacrosse. 
How do you think it changed you? Uh, I owe the sport of lacrosse a lot uh, to my life. I think it changed me in a lot of ways. The first thing would be how I was able to use the sport um, in order to further my academic career. So attending Dickinson College outside of high school, I was able to gain a scholarship and also would have not probably made it into that school without lacrosse. Just academically, it helped me there. Lacrosse has changed me. It's made me more resilient. It's taught me lessons of uh, hard work. Um, and motivation to be a team player, how to work with others. And it's really just kept me motivated throughout my life. And I use a lot of my experiences from the game, you know, in college, in high school, and even now in professional life. When you're in high school, how did you figure out you wanted to play lacrosse in college? And how did you choose Dickinson? Like kind of go through your recruiting process. Um, So I knew I wanted to play lacrosse in college um, at an early age. I actually had a whiteboard in my room since I was in lower school that just said play it actually said play division one lacrosse and so I'd kind of saw that every day it motivated me it kept me going so I knew I eventually wanted to play in college as I worked through the process early on I was uh, being recruited by d1 schools and you know the thought that was gonna be on my track for a while um, as it got down to kind of my junior year I had had some other options. Um, I had some Division One schools. I had some Division Three schools. Um, was able to, through my parents, kind of making sure that I visited these schools and colleges before I made my decision, was able to bounce around and check out some campuses, meet with coaches. After meeting with my coach at Dickinson, who was there and he was recruiting me, um, I realized pretty soon after that that was the school I wanted to be at. Um, it was Division Three. However, I knew that I would get a lot more out of it. You know, it was was a better academic school than some of the schools I was looking at. Um, I really loved the coach. I knew that I could contribute right away to the team and end up, you know, playing a lot even as a newcomer, as a freshman. Um, So those were some things that kind of swayed me in that direction. But it changed throughout. You know, at the beginning, it it looked different than how it ended up in the end. What did you do after college and did playing lacrosse help you with what you wanted to do? Yeah, so I have a funny story about kind of how I came about this job now. But when I first, so lacrosse was my whole life growing up. You know, I um, I played when I was very young. Both my parents were teacher coaches. Most of my brothers played and played in college. I went to college and played. Um, and then moving out of college, I thought, you know, I, I think I want to get away from it, right? And I think I want to try, you know, corporate, the corporate world and trying to kind of follow the path of a lot of my friends that I saw do that. I first got into commercial real estate and worked in commercial real estate in Philadelphia. And after two years in that, I remember sitting at my desk and missing the game, you know, missing being around a team, missing the sport in general. Um, I always loved coaching. I grew up, you know, coaching club leagues and in young kids. Um, obviously, both my parents were teacher coaches as well. So it was in my blood. Um, and then one day just said, I'm making a change and I want to get into coaching again. You know, I took a significant pay cut to do that, knew it was going to be a huge sacrifice and ended up starting kind of fresh as an assistant coach at my alma mater Dickinson, which actually uh, was a blessing. And then from there, I knew I wanted to be in high school coaching. That's where I found Baylor for the first time. But I mean, to get back to your question, that's kind of my story, which is a little bit different than normal. I didn't start out in coaching, but I've always loved lacrosse and that's what brought me back. But I mean, kind of like I said earlier, you know, lacrosse gives you a lot of skills that you learn throughout, right? It's, it's, 
the resilience piece, right? Even in the corporate world, you know, I think that companies are looking to hire not only athletes, but lacrosse players in general, just because of kind of their tenacity and their resilience, right? They know that if something goes down, that is um, kind of shakes, shakes things up. They're not going to, you know, step away from the challenge. During this interview, I learned that sacrifice in order to follow your passion can and will work out for someone if you put your head down and grind. Following on a similar path, I could see myself in a similar position as Coach White in the future. Thank you for listening. That's a wrap for this episode. We'll be back soon in the new year with a brand new episode looking at some upcoming events in the arts calendar. We hope you'll have a listen. Until then, have a restful and peaceful holiday. Go Big Red.